Hey everybody, welcome to the New Market Alliance Church podcast, where you're invited to not just attend church or watch church, or in this case, listen to church, but actually go and be the church. For everything you need to know about our community, be sure to go to newmarketalliance.ca and maybe even drop us a line to let us know you're listening. We read everything you send and we'll be sure to get back to you. Our worship service happens every Sunday at 10 a.m. in person or streaming online. We want you to know you absolutely matter to God and you absolutely matter to us. Everyone is welcome and wanted. Now, let's join today's teaching. I'm gonna be a little spicy this morning. If, uh, if you love me uh, like I think you love me and if you know how much I love you, you will receive it um, without offense. Uh, if you're visiting today, uh, well, it was nice meeting you, and uh, <laughs> have a nice life. <laughs> um, my friend Mai recommended a book to me recently, and I'm not even halfway through, but I'm already quite taken with it. It, it lays out the journey um, of most Christians, of, of our faith, the phases that a follower of Christ goes through. And I imagine we don't all go through these phases exactly in the same way or at the same pace, but they're... There's something common about these mile markers that most, if not all, believers will experience in their faith. Um, In the same way that predictably there are, you know, seven stages of grief, or there are certain phases of of the life cycle of a business or organization. Um, What I warn newlyweds or or people in pre-marriage counseling about is, is the loss, the inevitable loss of this honeymoon stage, right? Don't you wish you could stay in the honeymoon stage forever? Actually, what I tell them is that there is something better, uh, a next phase with more depth and maturity, and if you can recognize that there's something beyond the warm, fuzzy feelings, the romance, the, the neurochemicals and endorphins, you know, something better lies beyond the honeymoon phase. How many, how many remember when Jesus first became real in your life? Um, yeah, that wasn't a rhetorical question. Yeah. No matter how old you were, when you came to Jesus, you came with childlike wonder, with innocence, with awe. And, and you can see it on the face of someone who's a new Christian, someone who has just discovered for the first time this unconditional love, or you came to Jesus maybe having experienced a miracle, uh, or maybe you came to Jesus at your lowest, and Jesus met a need, he met a longing, he was so present in your life, um, your prayer life was vivid, your, it felt like God was talking to you daily, you wanted to be in the Bible, uh, to know more about the heart of God, um, Ah, the honeymoon phase of our faith. It's in the middle that the Christian life becomes hard. Uh, maybe when you started walking with Jesus, you never imagined that there'd be some days you'd be tempted to quit. You assume that if you did all the right things, it, it would be smooth sailing. But over the years, you thought about quitting church. You want to quit your small group. You want to quit your ministry. And it 
It didn't happen in the honeymoon at the start of this faith journey. It happens somewhere in the, in the middle. Some have quit the church. They've quit their faith. Some of you today are maybe feeling tempted to quit. Quit in the middle. We, we are not the first people who have been tempted to quit in the middle. You know, you know who the author of the second gospel is? Mark, sometimes called John Mark. And we, if we have our dates right, John Mark was probably just a boy at the time that Jesus lived and died. Um, but he grew up in a faithful religious family. His uncle Barnabas was famous in the early church. You've heard that name. Uh, he was famous for his leadership and for his encouragement and his generosity. And Mark gave his life to Christ early on, and, and shortly after, he was, invited, he was invited to join Paul the Apostle and Uncle Barnabas on their first missionary journey. What an opportunity this young man was given. He wouldn't have known it at the time, but you know how integral this missionary journey was to the legacy of the early church. The only problem is that halfway through the journey, Mark quit. And, and you can read about it in Acts 13. He had enough. He was at the start, excited, good to go, but hit some turbulence somewhere in the middle. And so he bailed. Maybe the Christian life wasn't all he expected it to be. Um, maybe the road got a little too uncomfortable for his comfort. Was he tired of living in the shadow of famous Paul? Was he disillusioned by the kind of persecution that they were facing? I would be. Um, it would give me pause, I think, to maybe go to a place expecting pats on the back and instead you get some jail time and 30 lashes. It was big news in the church when Mark split. It hurt the church when he left. Paul was so bothered by Mark's, uh, I guess nowadays we might call it deconstruction, that, that Paul had a fallout even with Uncle Barnabas over it. This is what it says in Acts 15. Verse 37 to 39, we're told that Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take them, him, uh, one who had withdrawn from them and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Yikes. Barnabas wanted to give Mark a second chance. Paul wasn't ready for that. Fool me once. Um, we don't know how Mark responded to that. Was he, was he hurt? I'd, I'd be tempted to be hurt. Did he sulk? Maybe isolated from others so that he could nurse his broken ego. But listen, God wasn't through with Mark. Some of you need to hear this today, that God is not through with you. I, I hope it doesn't surprise anyone that our God is a God of second chances. I've noticed that I actually give less grace to myself than God is willing to lavish on me. He didn't promise to love me if I performed well. He loved me while I was a sinner, uh, still in need of his grace. He, he isn't holding his 
breath, hoping I turn out to be worth the investment. He, he is delighting in me. He's delighting in you. He's taking joy in me. How did, how did you say it, Toby, last week? Like, that God takes joy in our joy. God is a God of second chances, and God had more plans for Mark, despite the fact that Mark had quit in the middle. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul was in prison, and this is thought to be the last chapter of his life before dying. And in his concluding letter to the church, Paul wrote these words, get Mark and bring him with me, for he's very useful to me in ministry. Wait, what? That Mark? Yeah. Somewhere past the mess of the middle, Mark's faith reconstructed. Um, What was it that turned him back to his calling? Was it the love of Uncle Barnabas, whose, whose name literally means son of encouragement? Was it God's mercy that, that woke him to the reality of God's presence? Um, was it Peter who took Mark under his wing? It's believed that the gospel of Mark uh, was written by Mark, but, but heavily influenced by Peter, which means that not only did Mark's faith get built up again, but God had plans for this young man, a writer of the gospel. God still has big plans for you. God still has big plans for this ragtag group of people that we call New Market Alliance Church. The Christian life ain't getting easier. It's not gonna get easier in Canada, folks. People are gonna disappoint you. Christians are gonna disappoint you. Your pastor is going to disappoint you. I promise. Ask my wife. Um, The suffering in your life is not just gonna stop. Odds are you'll be hurt again, but if you're a child of God, your destiny is secure. You've been welcomed back, just like John Mark. You know, the story of our church, New Market Alliance, is, is a great story. It's an origin story of young people experiencing what I can only be described as revival. And not from, you know, the sort of charismatic type churches that you might be picturing. Some with Anglican backgrounds, some with no church backgrounds. Um, And they are cramming into this living room of Beryl and, what was your dad's name? Jerry. Um, Jeffs. And, And soaking up the word and being discipled and sharing their faith. And I can kind of picture it, and I kind of envy it. The honeymoon phase. I don't mean that, by the way, as trite, dismissive term either. Thank God for the power of the honeymoon phase. It's what propels us into planting churches and, and propels us into the deeper stages of Christian maturity. But now Knack finds itself, you could say, in, in the middle, in the messy middle, those on-fire young adults experiencing revival are in their 50s and in their 60s. And, oh, yeah? 70's the new 60, so I... uh, There's been some hurts, probably some offense. People have left the church. 
not just this church seemingly, but have left the big C church. Um, some we know who, who seemingly have left the faith entirely. Sometimes we'll post an old picture from Nax history on social and someone might say, now those were the good old days. And no doubt they were to you. But these days, this season of Nax, are ending up being the best days, the good old days to somebody else. And you might be missing out on it. Living in the past as though the church were a museum of what God did back then. Some of you have found out that ministry is hard. Keeping the urgency and the momentum and the excitement is hard. Not just corporately, but for your own soul. And some of you have, have given your life to this church and now you, you feel tired. You're in the messy middle. Maybe you feel like you've been displaced from your role, from your influence. You feel like you've been, I don't know, put to pasture somehow. And I'm, I'm sorry if you've been given that message because the truth is we need you. I dare say that you need us too. You need to be part of a mission that is bigger than yourself. But, but we have a, a crowd, uh, a core that we used to count on. And in some ways, there's a, there's a new crowd that's chomping at the bit these days to grow and contribute and get involved. And there will have to come a time in our decision-making where we... We have to invest and pour into the people who are here, who, who show up. Forgive me if this seems like counterintuitive to the guy who always says, don't just come to church, go be the church. Um, if you're not even, you know, it, it's just that, you, how do you be the church if you're not really part of the church? The, the blessing and the curse of the live stream, in fact, is something I could go on a real rant about. It was a life saver during COVID. It kept us, loosely at least, connected. It has been a gift to the elderly, to the immunocompromised, those who are far away, those hospitalized, people like Bill McLaurin, Peggy Lindquist, who joined us right until the end, until Jesus took them home, um, and who wouldn't have been able to attend otherwise. And so what I'm about to say is not for everyone watching today. Uh, I don't want to put a burden on anyone who should not be coming out in person, to those who can't be coming out in person. But there are likely some who can. And we are discovering how many vital things there are about the church experience, the transcendent things that absolutely do not translate over video. You can't baptize someone on video. You can't lay hands someone and pray for them over a live stream. You can't anoint someone with oil. You, worship through music is really wanting, to say the least, on video. <laughs> really hard to hug someone over video um, and let them know that you're with them in the grief. Uh, on and on, the things that make the gathering so meaningful an experience can be lost on video. 
what is the church after all? Is it a building? Is it an organization? Or does it mean to belong to a people? It's, it's, if, if my challenge to go be the church is interpreted um, as not engaging with the body of Christ, then I'm sorry, I have failed as a communicator. I've failed to articulate what the church really is. We increasingly have an unfamiliar looking congregation. It's great. It's great. Some people have come back after two years and go, I I'm, don't recognize half the people. And all we can do as a staff is pour into those, serve those, disciple those who want to be here, who want to know others and be known by others. I wish everyone had a John Mark comeback story. Not everyone finishes well. There's, there's someone mentioned in the New Testament that we don't know a ton about. His name is Damas. And like I say, we don't, we don't know much about him, but we know enough. We, in Philemon, Paul describes Damas as a fellow worker. And in Colossians 4, Paul calls him a fellow laborer in Christ. And, and Paul and Luke and Damas were thought to be in prison in Rome when, when Paul wrote those words. Obviously, in those days, Damas was devoted follower, following hard after Jesus. And then, somewhere in the middle, something shifted. Was it a hurt that Damas suffered? Was it an offense that he had? An, uh, an expectation that went unmet? Was it a question or a doubt that planted a seed of uncertainty? Uh, or was it just a hope that God would have done more for him and it just never materialized? Whatever the cause was, Paul summed it up in 2 Timothy 4, 9, 10. He says, do your best to come to me soon for Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. The man of faith who had spent a lifetime with Paul suffering for the sake of Jesus it seems from this passage that he had drifted from his first love somewhere in the middle. In the middle of the road, Damas had had enough. He quit on ministry. He quit on spiritual community. He quit on church. I think on some level he quit on God. I have empathy for Damas. Life uh, could be better outside of the church. Life made more sense without God's people. Somewhere in the middle, Damas concluded, it's not supposed to be this hard. Can I ask you something, maybe to those of us in the middle? What tempts you to think about forsaking the Lord? Are you cynical? Are you frustrated with the, the state of the church these days? Scandals, celebrity pastors embarrassing us? I can't necessarily blame you. That stuff is infuriating to me lately. Perhaps your marriage hasn't worked out like you thought, like you were promised. Are you, are you feeling the pull of the world, uh, a, a better house, a better job, more savings? Is it the struggle or the shame between how you know you're living versus where God's word says you should be? 
Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you frustrated that no matter how hard you've tried to do the right things, you're still not happy? You're not changing. You can't feel God like you used to. If you're totally honest, you're not sure if you even like his people most days. You're longing for the intimacy that you felt at one time in the early days, but you you don't feel it anymore. It feels like you're bearing no fruit for all your sacrifice. There was a man named Elijah who, who felt it once too. He actually became suicidal. Jeremiah complained to God about the same thing more than once. A man named Job went through a hellish experience and, and reached some of the same conclusions. Israel's first king, Saul, felt it too. But his story was more like Damas, you know, tired of waiting on God. He quit in the middle, uh, never made it back home. You know, most Christians forget what the gospel message really is. We forget how deeply God loves us. We forget how accepted we are. We forget that we belong. We forget that heights nor depths nor angels or demons can separate us from the love of God. We forget the, the cross where Jesus laid down his life so that we might live. Today, I guess my job is to be the minister of reminding, to, to remind you today that you are loved whether you believe it or not, to remind you that you are chosen even when you feel like you're failing, to remind you that God's goodness that holds on to us when we can't hold on ourselves anymore, to remind those who might feel ready but nervous to drag yourself back home feeling kind of battered and worn out and sorrowful, the last face you expect to see is the tear-drenched face of your Father God who never stopped waiting for you to come home. Sometimes in the story of the prodigal, I've seen myself as the younger son, the rebellious, partying, selfish, living for the world. You know, finally at the end of myself, I'm sitting in the slop with pigs. Young prodigal this morning, let me say, the grace of God is manifested in that moment in the pigsty when you finally realize that the worst day in your father's house will always exceed the best life away from his presence. God's grace is that moment when you hear a whisper in your heart, the whisper that beckons you home. More often these days, though, I think I'm closer to the older brother working hard, <clears throat> maybe feeling like the father didn't notice all the good things I'm doing for him. You know, I've put in a lot of time and mileage in the father's house. Why isn't he rewarding me for my efforts? And like the older brother, uh, I may have missed that my father's presence was the reward. It was right there in front of me the whole time that that unhindered fellowship with my father Abba God, Daddy God. And here's what I think God might be whispering to the younger son, to the older son, those at the beginning of the journey, those in the middle of the journey. He's saying, <clears throat> will you just say yes to me? Just say yes. Well, to, to what, Lord? 
to whatever the next ask is, whatever the next baby step is, just say yes. It's all God's asking us to do. Just take your next step towards me, the next step of obedience, the next step of intimacy. Say, say yes. And it'll sound more often like a, a quiet whisper as opposed to lightning from heaven. But if you've ever heard God's whisper, it's, it's, it's an unmistakable thing. The Christian life usually boils down to your yeses. From the moment of salvation, God stands at the, at the door of your heart knocking. But only you can open the door. He's not going to bust it in. He doesn't call in the RCMP to break it down. You have to say yes. It's always been between you and God. It's just one word that flows out of a heart that trusts God. But it will change the course of your life. Damas said no to God, and he became a case study in drifting. Mark said yes to God, and he ended up writing a gospel. We, we tend to overcomplicate the Christian life. We overthink it. We look for signs. When the Christian life really boils down to one word, yes, 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 God, I'll forgive the person who hurt me. Yes, God, I'll, I'll let go of my anger. Yes, God, I'll go to church again. Yes, God, I'll trust in you in the waiting. Yes, God, I'll dump that vodka down the sink. Yes, God, I'll do whatever you ask me to do. Our friend Rosemary, you know, after being challenged in church, knew that she had to say yes to God and reach out to someone, make the first move, be the reconciler, even though it really should have been the other person. But she said yes to God. My friend uh, Frank and Tanya had to say yes recently by choosing forgiveness in a situation that I'm not sure I had it in me to forgive, but they said yes to God. Your future depends on your willingness to say yes to God, and your yes hinges on your belief in the goodness of God. When the prodigal came to his senses, he was counting on the goodness of the Father. What's, what's keeping you from coming home right now? Are you, are you, aren't you tired of holding on to your anger? Aren't you tired of trying so hard? Aren't you tired of fighting? Aren't you tired of being tired? God isn't asking for your perfect performance. He's not even asking you to prove your love for him. He's simply inviting you into his presence. May we be able to clear the messages and the lies and the clutter of the world just long enough to hear him say the words that you've longed to hear. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Anyone can start well, but some of us are in the messy middle, and I long for us to end strong, to finish the race well. Your story is far from over. God specializes in turnarounds. He did it for John Mark. He did it for the prodigal. He did it for me. He can do it for you. He's waiting for your yes. I'd like us to take communion today and 
This might be your way of saying yes to God, of rededicating to God. You know, we, in the evangelical world, we talked about, you know, going to camp and rededicating your life or maybe coming to an altar and rededicating your life. I don't know. I think it's, it's like a daily thing, actually, of, of choosing yet again this morning I'm going to refocus, realign my heart, recommit to you, God. Today, I rededicate. So maybe as the elders come and host these stations, I, I, I invite you to give your yes to God in, in rededication. Amen. You remember this old hymn? Some of you, you got to be older than me to remember it. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, oh sinner, come home. He's, he's calling not only those at the beginning of their faith, but those in the messy middle, just come home, come home, say yes to Jesus. I want to thank you for coming to church. I want to thank you for watching church. Um, you're a love people, more than coming to church. Let's go tomorrow and be the church. God bless you.